I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema! So it is the month of August 2022, and is once again that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. You know, it's uh, great to be here. We're at the end of another month, and it's time to uh, talk about Blu-rays once again. I've been waiting basically 30 days for this, so it's good to be here. Oh, yeah. No, I'm very excited for this. Uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, essentially what a uh, Tales from the Shelf uh, episode entails uh, is Brad and I uh, both have pretty substantial uh, physical media collections. That is DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4Ks. In my case, quite a lot of DVDs. In Brad's case, very few DVDs because uh, <laughs> he has a intense bias, an intense negative bias towards the towards that particular medium. Uh, but the point is, uh, basically, we use these episodes, these monthly meetups, uh, to just share some war stories uh, regarding like the collecting process and about the films in our respective collections. So. Um, Brad, would you care to tell the folks at home what uh, what our theme for this month's episode is going to be? Yeah, so the theme this month, I think we decided on uh, the name is The Birth Year Bonanza. So I uh, kind of poked you with this idea. I said, well, what if we just each take uh, movies from the year that each of us was born? So uh, for me, 1993, uh, what is it for you? I can't remember. 1987 1987 so you know it's we got a couple different years couple different eras you know that, that's the one good thing about this is we will have no overlap no or we shouldn't uh, unless there's some sort of re-release or some some loophole but at, i i can't imagine we'd have any overlap so um we should have a completely unique set of films for this month's theme yeah, actually, like like Brad had stated, um, this was his idea. So if, if this ends up being a total crap episode, you, you know who to blame. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> sorry to throw you under the bus, Brad. No, it's but true. You know, it's, it's, it's custom. It's custom. Like I, I have to throw Brad under the bus at least once, usually twice per episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, it was Brad's idea, and I thought it was a great one. Um, and a large part of that comes from the fact that um, it takes a little bit of the choice out of the equation uh, because a lot of the themes we've covered in months past on Tales from the Shelf uh, have been very, very selective, very voluntary, where basically we can like pick and choose exactly what we want to talk about. We can curate our picks so we can, if we want to make ourselves look, you know, artsy fartsy or highbrow or something we can we can do that from month to month if we want to just like show off the movies from our collection that we utterly hate or disgusted by ourselves for even having on our shelves we can do that but because we're just going by our birth year uh, for the selection process it takes a little bit of choice out of the equation in fact i think i asked brad before we started recording like how many titles he pulled off his shelf and it was a substantial number, but it wasn't an insane number to the, to the point that he just took all of them and put them aside. And I did <laughs> the same because because we both of us, between the two of us, we don't have that many titles from our respective birth years. Um, it was kind of neat, uh, you know, just running through the collection and letting letting the number do the selection for you. Um, 
So I don't know about you, Brad, but I'm I'm looking at a, a pretty cool stack of movies. Like like I'm I can't speak for you. Maybe you have a, a complete pile of crap, but I'm pretty sure 1993 has a few really really good movies that are especially important to people of our respective age ranges. Um, so with that being said, uh, I'm gonna do my hosting duty, and as I said earlier. Uh, I tend to throw Brad under the bus every chance I get, so as is custom, um, I will do so now and ask the Brad, uh, how about you start us off by sharing your first uh, birth year title? Yeah, I mean, like another cool thing about this, of course, is that these films essentially, you know, they have the same life, like they've lived the same life as we have. They're the same age. So you can kind of look back and see like, you know, when these movies were coming out this is where this is where i began in a way not necessarily where your your movie habits began but like you know when you were born this is what cinema was like and i do uh, i do think that maybe there's a little bit of uh some carryover in that uh some of these films you know i might not have seen till years later but i don't know there i feel like there is a little bit of a special uh bond when you see a movie that came out the same the year you were born um and this is not one of those movies, so I don't know why I'm talking about that. This is a movie that I just watched very recently, and I know you have heard me uh, mention a couple times at least. And uh, it is a film that is right up my alley, and it is a 4K from Vinegar Syndrome. It is the release of Ticks, Ticks, which did come out in 1993. And uh, this movie I was very excited for because I love Vinegar Syndrome. I love 4K, and I love creature features. I love eat 'em ups. This one is not really. This isn't really an eat 'em up. It's more like a bite 'em up, but it's still the same genre, you know. Um, and I was very much looking forward to this. Picked it up during the most recent uh, Vinegar Syndrome. So actually, and I take that back. It was the Vinegar Syndrome sale over Memorial Day weekend. They did actually have a brand new sale just a couple weeks ago. Um, they did for the first time it was all um movies that they are uh like preserving like movies where they're preserving the film prints so it was a very selective sale they had but anyway that's beside the point i picked up ticks watched it was hyped for it it's got this great hard outer box case you open it up you got the slip in there you got the 4k we're all good and I watched the movie, and uh, it was a little bit of a disappointment, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that I expected, uh, you know, Citizen Kane out of Ticks, but uh, it was a little like when when the Ticks were there, they were great. The effects were great. There was some pretty good gore, but it was a lot of uh, setup and not a lot of a lot of. It was a lot of filler, not a lot of killer, and uh, you know. I, I did like uh, watching how they pulled off the ticks, the effects of them practically. I thought they looked really good. Um, it's just weird that they set up all these characters and don't have them all violently die. It's it's a little odd. Like, they set up these... It's basically um, Seth Green, not Jamie Kennedy, Seth Green, uh, is part of this retreat, a camping retreat, and he goes to the this... Uh, camp in the woods with a bunch of these kids meanwhile there are these farmers that are growing marijuana and they are uh synthetically enhancing their marijuana with uh fertilizer or you know nutrients and these ticks get into it and they uh grow very large 
and you, you've got these camp these campers and a lot of them are kind of like bullies a lot of them are pretty unlikable and surprisingly almost all of them i mean spoiler almost all of them live and it's like what the <laughs> what the hell was the point of it like why why do we have all these characters set up like these you know stereotypes of these like you know campers not to have them kick the bucket how lame is that um so it was fine um it is produced and i don't there's nothing here to say uh oh here we go it is produced by brian yuzna brian yuzna okay which uh of course we all know brian yuzna from uh society i think didn't he do one of the reanimator movies or something like that yeah so I saw him pop up in the credits, and I said, oh, oh there's some pedigree behind this. Um, but unfortunately, that's uh, that's kind of where the pedigree ended. Uh, it was a fun watch. Don't regret spending $30 on it, but secretly I probably do. I'm curious, Brad. Uh, did you uh, did you have any like familiarity or knowledge of the movie uh, going in? Uh, n- other than Vinegar Syndrome announcing it, that was pretty much it, like – when Vinegar Syndrome announced it on 4K, it was kind of like, how have I never heard of this? Or, you know, maybe I'd heard of it and didn't realize. But it's like, you know, there's a few recognizable faces in here. You got uh, Alfonso Ribera from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Seth Green. Um, oh, who's the who's the, who's that guy? Um, you know that guy. Um, Clint Howard? Yeah, Clint Howard. Huge cast. And it's like a huge cast creature feature movie the year i was born this should be i this should have been in you know constant rotation for me so i don't know how it totally just missed me um but i guess maybe i do know now that i watched it and was kind of uh let down maybe that's why it was uh missed by me but it was still i'm still glad to have seen it yeah i mean brad and i both have a mutual appreciation for uh eat ups as he calls them uh creature feature films it's it it's one of my favorite things like anytime there's a monster on the loose especially in a small town or something you have my attention and usually my money um but ticks is not a movie i've seen but um the reason i was asking if you knew anything about it going in was um i distinctly remember uh, the vhs for that one at like the local blockbuster and the uh the grocery store when i was when i was a kid so like when i was six years old or so um and I remember it was it had a goopy cover that I think it's a, a woman's face and then one of the one of the pu- like tick puppets like pretty much like over her mouth. Mm. Uh, so it was it was like a, a very goopy cover that very much was eye catching, um, not as artful as the, the you know the brand new Vinegar Syndrome cover, which yeah, you know good they, artwork. They know their way around crafting a beautiful cover for a shit movie. Like that, that that's kind of their MO. Like Vinegar Syndrome specializes in crap, but they dress that crap up quite nicely and give it, you know, 4K prints and whatnot. Um, it's not a movie I know uh, to have any sort of reputation of quality or anything, but I do remember hearing that there was uh, multiple cuts of the movie, uh, which I know is a little bit of a four-letter word for you, Brad, but um, did you... Did you peep any of those special features on that disc yet? Uh, there there are some commentary tracks, and there is a uh, making-of documentary. Um, I haven't watched any of them yet, um, but I don't think there's any extra cuts on here. Well, actually, no, I take that back. The cut that is on here, at least from what I saw, is longer than the cut that is listed on IMDb. 
I noticed that. Oh. I, I, I looked up the movie's runtime on IMDb, and it said 89 minutes or something, and this is listed as it's 94. So I did notice that. So I don't, I don't know if this is a director's cut or an ex- extended cut. I don't know, but it it is longer. Whatever cut this is, it is a longer cut. Okay, well, I I do remember hearing rumblings that apparently there's like a, a a gorier cut of the movie that exists. I don't know if it's been printed anywhere, but if I had to guess, you probably have it in your hand right I now. I would guess so. Uh, yeah. Based, yeah, just based on Vinegar Syndrome's track record, I would I would imagine they would go either way to get that. But sound it sounds like it's worth a watch. Like it doesn't sound like it would be a fun watch or anything. But it's like, hey, how many movies can you count on your hand? Like that feature ticks as the central you know antagonist it's mm-hmm. like i you know maybe just maybe just the thumb honestly <laughs> um so yeah. it has that novelty going for it and you know clint howard is probably not in very much of it i did listen to brad's micro review of the film uh on was it episode 299 of the cinema speak podcast i think so i think it was 299 yeah and it sounded like clint howard makes his exit very early uh which is pretty normal for for his filmography <laughs> which is a little bit of a shame but you know it is what it is i'm not in a hurry to check it out uh nor to spend 30 dollars to check it out but uh thanks for sharing that though i mean i mean it's it did look great if that's any selling point it did look great hey i mean that counts for something and mm-hmm. you know it is one hell of a display piece because like i said vinegar syndrome they certainly know their way around packaging for sure yeah um yeah, so thanks for that, Brad. But um, no problem. I guess the the ball is to me. But before I crack into my first title, I'm gonna crack into this here Coca Cola Dream World Mini. Oh, <laughs> hello. I have no fucking clue what this is. I'll have to uh, Miller time. Tell my friend Bobby who works for Coke. He'll be fired up. Yeah, I, I, folks at home, if you're not aware, Brad uh, has a buddy, Bobby. Bobby, <laughs> that, uh, that uh, he he works for Coke. Is that is that right? Yep, yep. He works for Coke. He's uh, basically, I don't know if he wants me revealing this. I don't think I don't think he cares. He he's he like goes around <laughs> to stores in the area and he's the sales rep for Coke. Yeah. So every once in a while, uh, Brad, uh, you know, call, drunk dials him and <laughs> live on the air. And uh, probes him for insider details about uh, future Coke products and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, they they haven't explicitly advertised the flavoring for this one, so I only have to guess. But it, it has a slight like mangoish vibe to it, I guess. Okay. Um, okay. Although I know they already have a Coke mango, so uh, well maybe maybe the mango Coke wasn't selling well, and they just you know they they slapped it on a plastic lunchbox and. They're selling it. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Who knows? Not a bad idea. Who knows? Well, anyway, uh, now that I have cracked into my mediocre Coke, um, I will crack into my first uh, 1987 title. And uh, as tends to be the case, and largely the reason why I, I request that Brad go first, uh, I like to play off of Brad's picks as best I can. Uh, so I'm going to do so now. Uh, by sharing my own uh, Vinegar Syndrome title. the I think the oh. only Vinegar Syndrome title I, I own from 1987, and that would be uh, the very recent uh, 4K pressing of Miami Connection. Ah, nice. Yes. 
And this, of course, comes in, you know, a very handsome package, uh, front and back art. And it has an internal box, uh, also handsomely designed. Uh, and that's also a slipcase. So, and then we have our uh, black 4K plastic clamshell in there. Uh, very handsome package um, and a pretty fun movie, uh, if, if I'm being 100% honest. Uh, although, I will say this much, um, definitely one that requires... Uh, an audience, a rowdy audience, in order to fully appreciate it. Because yeah. watching this by myself was, frankly, kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not good. Like, it's objectively not a very well-made movie, not an especially well-conceived or performed one. Um, but there's a lot of fun to be had if you have a bunch of friends around you to point and laugh at it and just lampoon the thing, like Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. Um the story behind the movie is pretty fun, where it's just a bunch of inept people not particularly invested in the film industry, like kind of getting all their money together in an effort to promote the the lead actor of the film um, and his, I guess, his self-help campaign, as well as uh, Korean martial arts, so Taekwondo in this case. Um, and the movie has a lot of positive messaging in there. In fact, it has like a... Uh, I don't know, like a, a, a Capcom thank you for playing style, like like a closing title slide when you reach the end credits where it's like only it's I forget exactly what it is, but it's like like only through the eradication of violence can we attain world peace or something like that. <laughs> it's like, hang on. The movie ended with like decapitations and, and numerous instances of he heads being kicked and stuff. It's like, what the fuck is this mixed message bullshit? But it's it is a extraordinarily eighties film, um, as evidenced by the the title font and the neon all over the packaging for it, as well as the soundtrack. Um, somebody somebody in the production must have caught wind uh, that like MTV product tie-ins were kind of like the style of the time. Like the mid eighties was very much the era of you need to have a, a hit song to go with whatever the fuck movie you're making mm -hmm. it doesn't matter the subject matter there has to be a record deal involved uh so they i think they wrote these songs for this movie and at least one of them is pretty catchy um they 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 were keenly aware of that because they saw fit to play it at least twice in its entirety yeah. <laughs> in the film <laughs> but um, Brad, have you have you seen this one? You you have to know it by reputation at the very least. Yeah, I know of it. Um, I have not seen it. Now, have you? Did you watch it? Like, is this something you'd seen before purchasing the 4K, or was that a first time watch? It was a first time watch, actually. I I did not blindly purchase it though because I, I know it very much by reputation. Um, and then uh, Red Alert Media uh, covered it very like in the nascent days of red lighter media if memory serves it was like one of their early hit episodes um and i have this theory that that half of vinegar syndrome and and just all boutique labels are just coasting off of whatever the fuck red lighter media covers these days mm -hmm. because an an alarming number of titles discussed on that youtube program find their way to to the shelves of vinegar syndrome and and other boutique label blu-ray distributors yeah, nothing wrong with that. I mean, um, what it was, uh, Suburban Sasquatch, um, 
I mentioned uh, yeah. coming out, and I, I didn't know that was a uh, Red Letter Media recently covered uh, film until my friend Charlie told me about it. Yeah, they did an entire episode just spotlighting that one episode. Um, and from what I could tell, they actually reviewed it from, I think, a DVD maybe purchased directly from the director or something. Um, because it had special features, like it had behind the scenes materials and it was, you know, 480p, like, like DVD quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that movie's getting, is it only a Blu-ray or a 4K? I think it's just a Blu-ray, right? I think for Suburban Sasquatch, I think just Blu-ray only. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, all these folks, you know, they're, they're just trying to, to live their lives and, you know, run businesses. And as like, as it stands, the the blu-ray you know movie enthusiast corner of the market is very small but very devoted um so if you focus on gobbling up the rights to whatever stupid fucking niche titles those people i.e brad and myself will bite for you're probably going to be able to keep the lights on so it's it's interesting like like i'm not used to that particular relationship i'm not used to being able to have such a a direct connection with the people making these products or, or distributing these products. I feel like, I feel like things move so much faster these days than they used to where like just in the short time that Brad and I uh, have been doing, catching up on Blu-ray episodes, reviewing all the upcoming Blu-ray and 4k titles for each calendar month. Um, I've, I've noticed that like the turnaround time on these titles seems to just be accelerating um and it's it's really fascinating to to observe um the industry's going in some interesting directions right now despite a lot of claims to it being like on the outs in some ways i mean in some ways it's more alive than ever yeah it's it's really funny how that works where it's like there's probably fewer people overall buying these things but the the few the brave (laughs) that, that are still doing it uh, are probably making up, like picking up their slack, uh, mm-hmm. because like there, there's plenty of enthusiastic collectors out there, um, but I don't think there are as many uh, casual movie buyers as there used to be. Yeah, I would be, I would be curious the amount of people like your average person who, you know, buys like only a couple big release movies, like how many of those people there are left? Because yeah, I would, I would guess. Very few and far between. I would assume most people just wait for it to come to their uh, preferred streaming service. Yeah, and what's more, I, I don't often think about it, but it just occurred to me. It's like there's probably a good number of people, like especially younger people these days, who don't own Blu-ray players or, mm-hmm. or any sort of optical media like device <laughs> just because there's no need for it like the way they, they consume their media these days. Yeah, I mean, yeah, most people probably use, most TVs have built-in capabilities of, you know, those apps, and if people do have uh, players, it's probably a game console, I would guess, the majority of young people. If, if they do have one, that's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would be with you on that. But yeah, that was a Miami connection. Like I said, first time watch for me. It's fun. Um, but I would highly recommend if you're going to watch it and try to enjoy it as much as you've seen, you know, those guys from Wisconsin enjoy it on, on the Red Letter Media, um, make sure you watch it with a group. Um, because, yeah, it's a little bit depressing if you're 
trying to have fun with it by yourself <laughs> like watching just a straight up not very good movie mm-hmm. okay brad well uh that's it for me on that one uh, what what is your next uh, 1993 selection well, this one—it's uh, a film I haven't watched in a while, but it's always a—it's uh, always in that zone where it's good to pull out, um, you know, my boy, our boy, your boy, all of our boys, uh, Stephen King. Stephen King—he's oh. pumped out a lot of content, and I don't know where his career was at in 1993, but based on this movie, probably not at his height, um, but it is one that I own. It is Needful Things. Needful Things, which um, I will say this, uh, the the book, the novel, I think is the only novel where I quote unquote read it all through an audiobook. I read it in an audiobook, uh, which at the time, I mean, this is, I mean, this isn't that old school, but for some people, this will be old school. I rented the audiobook on CD from the library, all 12 or 15 discs. And at the time, I was doing a lot of uh, driving. I think I was in college, so I was driving, uh, you know, every couple weekends I'd drive home, I'd drive back. So in the meantime, I would listen to the uh, book on tape, on CD of Needful Things. It ended up taking me probably uh, eight months to <laughs> finish it. Um, so probably not the ideal way to listen to the book on tape. But um, Stephen King did read it himself, which was kind of interesting. Um, I thought he did a good job, although I've never listened to any other books on audio. So he could have done a terrible job, and I wouldn't know. But anyway, Needful Things, it is very, like... I don't want to say cliche Stephen King, but it is like right in that zone of small town, lots of characters, lots of side characters whose, you know, plots, you know, interconnect and overlap an overarching supernatural element, good versus evil, you know, all the staples of his work is here. And the film adaptation wasn't great from what I remember. It does have a couple uh, good cast members, including Ed Harris and Max von Sydow. Uh, I think there was a couple other Amanda Plummer, Amanda Plummer in here as well. So you know, there's a few decent cast members in here that elevate this a little bit. Um, Fraser C. Heston is the director. I don't know what else he's done off the top of my head, but you know, it's it's fine. It really isn't anything that great. Um, and I, I watched it quite a bit removed from the book, so I can't say you know how faithful of an adaptation it was. It was a pretty long book though, so I'm guessing that a lot of it was like uh, you know I'm sure they cut out a lot in this. But basically, the plot is that this guy Max von Sydow he uh, runs an antique store in this town, and the antique store is called Needful Things, and it's basically like people will go in and they'll somehow ask him for something. Uh, whether it's like one character, she has a uh, very bad back pain and she mentions like, oh, I, I'd do anything to get rid of this back pain. And he's like, whoa, you'd do anything, would you? And then, you know, of course, her back pain goes away, but it comes at a cost. So it, uh, you know, goes in that zone. Nothing that original, but uh, I do love just how Stephen King weaves all these interconnected characters and side stories together and um, it's you know it's uh, Kino Disc 
not a ton of special features on here or anything, but as a fan of Stephen King and having read the novel, uh, got no issues having this in my collection because the, the thing with Stephen King, I probably will rewatch his movies again. Like, there's nothing where I'm like, I'm probably never going to watch that again. Like this, even though I didn't love it, like, yeah, I could pop this in and, you know, watch it sometime. I'd have no issue with that. Yeah, he really does have a, a particularly cozy vibe with a lot of his stories mm-hmm. where it's just there's there's something just incredibly digestible about all of them. Um and you do find yourself wanting to go back for seconds. Um case in point, I I'm not even really aware of that one needful things. Um, but in just hearing you talk about it, I immediately want to watch it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. even even though you didn't give it a, a glowing review or anything, I'm just like that sounds nice. Like, yeah. like that that sounds like it wouldn't waste my time. Um yeah, I I'd, I'd actually really like to check that one out. It sounds like a like a, a monkey's paw type story but with a, a person instead of like a an artifact or something. Um very like sounds very very kingian, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um it seems like something that I would expect from him, but uh any like I mean, we do full spoilers on catching up on cinema pretty routinely, but like, um, feel free to hold back if you feel like it. But like, are there any like uh, standout moments or sequences that come to mind? Ah, boy, you know, the, the only thing that I really remember, well, I remember two things. First of all, I do remember a scene from the book quite vividly because um, the woman who gets the back pain removed, if I remember correctly, he gives her this like amulet to wear. And he's like, oh, it's, you know, it's an old uh, ritual thing. You wear this and the, the magnetism from the amulet, it'll heal, like he gives her some mumbo jumbo and she wears it and like her back starts to heal itself. But then she starts to like, you know, become like mentally distressed or so- something. So eventually she takes the amulet off and destroys it. And uh, like a, a big bug crawls out of the amulet, like a big spider. Um, I don't I don't remember if that's in the movie. Because I, I only remember it from the uh, the book reading it. But the only other thing I remember from the movie is that I kind of do a thing where anytime I notice um, an actor uh, breaking, uh, like where they uh, get caught looking at the camera on accident, I always uh, pause it and take a picture of it and, you know, <laughs> save it for posterity. And uh, I, I clearly remember the actor JT Walsh in this movie uh, gets busted. I busted him, like caught him looking at the camera. <laughs> so that's the extent that I remember from the movie. <laughs> okay. So we have, what, Gerald's game, the degloving scene. Uh, we have uh, Misery, the, the hobbling scene. Um, it, we have any number of memorable moments. Shining, we have Here's Johnny. and mm-hmm. No TV and no beer make Homer go something something. <laughs> uh, we have Gimme the Bat. And this one, we have some schmuck looks into the lens. <laughs> yep. That's the extent that I remember from it. Uh, it makes me want to watch it even more, Brad, because <laughs> I, 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 no, I, I love gaffes. Um, yeah. I, I know I always find a way to incorporate wrestling into every dis- discussion. I know it's a problem. I need to work on it. Um, but, like, botches are, are a huge part, especially these days in the internet age, of why f- wrestling continues to be fascinating, even though it's you know, it's wrestling. <laughs> like 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 botches are are something that are very fascinating to me. Or it's like especially in film, where it's like clearly that wasn't intended. Clearly that was an outright mistake. But it's still there. 
and you know they they in this day and age there there are ways that you can probably correct that i mean case in point we just had what game of thrones have a starbucks cup removed or whatever yeah um forevermore never to be seen again as far as i know and unless those blu-rays went out the door <laughs> with with the starbucks preserved i don't think that they did um, because they were on that very quickly but but yeah stuff like that's always fun to me it's just it's a reminder that it's like you know a lot of work goes into these things and uh, you know even still some things don't exactly go go as planned it's it's just a, a nice little reality check that's like yeah you know it's <laughs> it doesn't make it any worse it's just kind of funny that it happens mm-hmm. i will say not the poster not the cover art on the blue ray but the uh the poster the original poster art for needful things with the shopping bag and this like uh figure like pushing out from inside the shopping bag it's pretty great uh pretty great great poster i have to say the the blu-ray artwork <laughs> with uh ed harris not as good but um i do like that original poster now is it a anthology or is it does it have like a a clear like singular protagonist or like a straightforward narrative yeah it's it's a straightforward narrative yeah ed harris is the main character he's i think he's the sheriff of the town and he's you know like what what the hell's going on in this town (laughs) like classic kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i definitely want to check that one out Mm -hmm. i'll have to see if it's available anywhere uh, for me to for me to pop on the streaming or something. Maybe I can convince the girlfriend to watch it with me. I tell you, it's available at kinolorber.com for a purchase of uh, uh, $19.99. Oh, <laughs> you almost had me because you're starting to make a $5 sound there, but it turned into a 19 and uh, that's a little steep, Brad. Well, I, 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 probably paid, be... <laughs> I probably paid $9.99, I bet. I, I probably got this in a sale. Yeah, that's still a little much, Brad. <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake, I, I reviewed uh, Memory uh, on the podcast just a couple weeks ago, uh, the Liam Neeson uh, movie, and I I did go on record saying that a huge reason why I, I have that movie and consequently why I ended up reviewing it is because, you know, it's on my shelf and I'm just like, huh, what do I have? Well, this is here. Um, I got that for seven ninety nine. And it was brand fucking new. <laughs> 1797. 1797 is what we're looking at. You gotta get it down to a nine there, Brad. Yeah, like yeah. maybe a nine and I'll and I'll pick up needful things from Kino Lorber. But nineteen ninety nine? Oh fuck off, no. <laughs> Especially when it doesn't come with a glowing like recommendation. It's yeah. like yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh I'm cheap, sorry. Um Okay, well, I suppose the ball is to me. Um, so, what's it gonna be? Uh, I'm gonna. I think I'm just gonna front load this with like the the big name titles that we all know and love, because I do have, I do have a, a significant number of those here, and so this isn't going to be like a arcane like Trevor pick episode. This is going to be like you know the greatest hits, like keeping it keeping it chill here. So. I have here another 1987 title, uh, and it's a doozy. Uh, one of my very favorite movies, like of all time, probably top three, top maybe top five, potentially top three. Um, I have Paul Verhoeven's uh, Robocop, uh, the Robot Cop. 
from 1987. This is the Arrow 4K Super Duper Box Set Edition. Comes with a booklet, uh, a poster, I think an OCP sticker, and it comes with a giant honkin' black 4K box because Arrow likes to do premium shit. Um, they did a bang-up job uh, with their RoboCop disc. Um, it's funny because I actually upgraded from their previous robocop disc <laughs> because robocop they got is that you good kind of movie <laughs> oh they, they got my money like I, I just said i was cheap not when it comes to robocop <laughs> when it comes to robocop i will shell out for you know criterion dvds uh from way back when from the early days of the format um because i just fucking love robocop um it's it's a very important movie to me i think i was first exposed to it when i was a toddler or some shit uh because it was just on at like a an auntie's house in hawaii like we were having like a family get together or something and all the kids were supposed to be upstairs playing with their teenage mutant ninja turtles and stuff but then we do what kids do especially you know in the the kid power 1980s early 90s when kevin McAllister was beating up adults every day and you know that's just how it was that's how disney movies were um we snuck downstairs right when Ed 209 was blasting Mr. Kenny <laughs> in the OCP office. Yeah. And we were all just like, ah! <laughs> So uh, that was cool um, when you're like three or some shit. Um, but yeah, Robocop's a very special movie to me. Um, I've owned it probably more times than any other movie, um, potentially not counting uh, Transformers the movie. Like, if, if you're counting the number of times our VHS tape was taped over by my dad on accident, um, then Transformers the movie would most certainly be the movie I've owned in the most number of iterations. Um, but RoboCop, I had the Criterion DVD. I had the, I think it was just like an MGM shitty DVD. Um, and then I have, I've, I've showed it off numerous times on, on Tales from the Shelf, uh, the unfoldable RoboCop-shaped box set of robocop one through three i i got the arrow uh blu-ray and now i've upgraded to the arrow 4k um and you know i'm sure there will be multiple formats uh before i pass away uh so i'll probably continue to upgrade uh all of my robocop disc collection as time goes on um but yeah uh, i i know this movie frontwards and backwards i don't think the girlfriend's seen it yet although she is dutch so it'd be really funny for her to see uh, a dutch filmmaker uh <laughs> as, like interpreting american uh culture uh through his particular viewpoint um paul verhoeven's a really cool guy like i he's also precious to me like robocop is probably my favorite of his movies but just his filmography is pretty fucking awesome <laughs> oh, love the guy but uh how about you brad uh robocop special to you in any way uh, no, I mean, I also have the 4K uh, release of it. Um, I did not get suckered into also buying the Arrow Blu-ray. I didn't fall for that. Uh, unlike you, uh, I got to throw you under the bus on that one. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, you know, it's, it's doesn't, it certainly doesn't have the special place in my heart that you have. I mean, obviously it's a great film, but it, it does make me think because I also, I'm just, this is, this isn't my next pick. This is just a a throwaway one-off, you know, you mentioned how RoboCop is up there is potentially, you know, in your top three. I think even I've heard you say it at times if you had to pick a number one, it might even be up there. And one that is 
I don't know if it'd be number one still, but at some point it was uh, for me is from 93 Jurassic Park. And I do yes. wonder, like, it is funny that, you know, two films that we both would say are at least probably in our top 10, if not top five, if not top three, if not top one, uh, each of them came out in our respective birth years. So I wonder if there's an element to, like, obviously this came out in 93 for me, but, you know, by the time home video releases, you know, by the time my household got it, got it in hand, uh, you know, it might've been just at the perfect time where I was, you know, sentient enough to withhold the, like, you know, it, it could be just like the perfect thing where it not only did it come out the year I was born, but it just kind of was in the pop culture lexicon when I was growing up, it was just kind of in the air. And so that could be a reason why it continues to be have a special place in my heart. So it could be the same with RoboCop too for you. Yeah, no, I I do think there's something to that where it's like your, I don't know, your cultural identity, your familiarity with things starts when you're born, even if you're not conscious just yet. Um, because yeah, it does it does make some sense, I guess that especially when you consider. Um, the proliferation of, of home video media, like it was in full swing in our lifetimes. And it, it would make sense that, you know, when I was a little kid, Robocop would, would be a thing uh, because we are very much heading into the video era. Um, and it, it would have lasting power as a result. Um, not to mention it came out, you know, pre-internet. So a movie as particularly violent as Robocop, uh, certainly carried that reputation of like being kind of like a, a playground chat movie where it was whispered about where it's like you you were of a particular level of privilege if you if you were given the opportunity just to look at robocop like everybody knew about robocop for fuck's sake there was a saturday morning cartoon where did you know that brad Nah, maybe i knew about it but i've never seen it yeah they they tried to they tried to sanitize robocop and uh market him towards kids um towards the tail end of of his like i don't know pop culture heyday i guess so like by the time you get to robocop 3 the movie's rated pg-13 um there's a television series on the way which is most certainly pg like not even pg-13 it's very much like family oriented robocop which is just like (laughs) that's an oxymoron if i've ever heard one um um, but yeah there was also a saturday morning cartoon and the theme song goes robocop 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 i think the lyrics solely consist of the word robocop spoken at different cadences it's it's a terrible show it was very good they had action figures and stuff and there was a weird thing going on with that and like just the way things were marketed back then where it's like they would take the the gnarliest most crazy movies and find a way to try to market them to, towards children just because that's like all the marketing regulations had been tossed out the window it was it's a weird time to be a kid <laughs> so i'll say that much but mm-hmm. um yeah robocop certainly carried that particular reputation when i was a little kid of being like that movie that everybody knew because I mean, if you just look at the the character design, it's it's so utterly iconic. So like, 
you would pass by like the VHS in the store and you'd be like, oh, someday I'll see that. And you're like trying to piece together in your head as to what RoboCop's going to be. Um, but then RoboCop is a particularly special movie uh, to me anyway, uh, because after all, like after all those years of running through that process of imagining what it's going to be, when you actually sit down to watch it, it ends up being better than you th- than you even thought it would be. Yeah, it's like it delivers on the blood and guts aspect that you know me and all my friends were all about. I mean, for fuck's sake, we were raised on Doom, not just Doom, Doom Two, <laughs> Hell on Earth. Uh, so blood and guts were what we were all about. Um, but then, like, if you actually examine like the characters and the plot line and and the pace of the thing, the way it's edited, it, it's a fucking fantastic film, top to bottom. Um, and it was rare that you would get that, especially when you're like of that age where you're picking a lot of your movies just based on the cover art. And it's just like, oh, RoboCop, that sounds stupid. And it sounds like, it, oh, it's R-rated? Okay. And then you put it on. It's like, oh, shit, this movie's amazing. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. I don't even know yeah. what an amazing film is yet because I'm fucking 12. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it stayed with you and it's uh, continued to be a big part of your life and it's as old as you are. Yeah, and it continues to steal money out of my bank account. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we want to, I mean, if we really want to talk embarrassing, I mean, I kind of threw you under the bus. I'll say even more embarrassing is uh, me the fact that I pulled out Jurassic Park and I own that disgusting Blu-ray, but I don't own it on 4K yet. That is embarrassing. That's even more embarrassing. It's- it's your favorite movie, right, Brad? Uh, it was. At the last time I did my top 100, it was. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I think you you owe it to Steven Spielberg to get a 4K of his, his, his beautiful movie, Jurassic Park. That's true. But to be fair, I don't think I've watched it since the 4K has come out. So uh, it's not like I've watched that Blu-ray when the 4K has been available to me. So... Still embarrassing, but not so embarrassing. Still embarrassing. Though. You owe it to Stan Winston and Industrial Light and Magic to watch their beautiful film in 4K, not as intended, so all their hard work looks as ratty and terrible as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Every little blemish is in clear view. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of... I, I want to see... I feel like the 4K didn't get the highest marks either, to be honest. Yeah, the 4K has only got a 3.5 out of 5 on Blu-ray.com. So, Whoa. Uh, yeah, this that's uh, rough, this, man. This movie keeps getting screwed. Yikes! But I can say from okay. experience that the Blu-ray does not look great. But anyway, yeah, I I I had the Blu-ray at one point. I actually did upgrade mine, um, and uh, I haven't watched the 4K just yet. But uh, the Blu-ray, yeah, I do remember it being kind of. Not amazing. Like, it was fine. It wasn't great, though. Yeah, it looks like there is edge enhancement all over this thing. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) What have they done to my boy? (laughs) The ball cap worn by the boy who calls out Grant for digging up a six-foot turkey has uh, edge halos around it as it clashes against a bright sky. Oh, boy. (laughs) Anyway. uh, (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, is uh, Jurassic Park your next pick, Brad? No, 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 something no, no, else? no. There's okay. nothing more to be said after we've already talked about the picture quality. Um, so how about this one? Let's do let's get let's get a little classy. 
not that your last pick, your last pick was classy as well. Um, but I mean classy in terms of uh, the Criterion Collection. And this one is one of the first Criterion releases I owned. I'm not going to say the first, because I think that would make me a liar, but it is one of the first. And it is Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. Dazed and Confused. Which, um, I don't know when I first saw this movie. I want to say I was probably in high school. I was probably at a good age uh, to see it. But, you know, it kind of always, in my mind, got lumped together with just the stoner comedies of the 80s and 90s. And I kind of just expected it to be that. And it really isn't that at all. Like, there are stoner characters, but I certainly would not call it just a straight-up stoner comedy. Like, I think that really undersells it. It's much more about, you know, all different sets of characters living this one day, last day of high school, going into their senior year. And uh, I just... I find this film insanely watchable. Um, I think the soundtrack is great. And it just... You know, if if you're a Richard Linklater fan, I think you'll really like this one. It really just kind of taps into what he does best, just like things that feel real, conversations that feel genuine, um, and also, you know, managing to be funny as well. And it does have, you know, a a good bit of uh, nostalgia in it, um, a good bit of like, uh, you know, looking towards the future, uh, you know, and uh, I I really enjoy this this picture here. I love the ending. I love the whole... um, the uh what's the word framing device with the uh the main character and his uh the his his football letter that he refuses to sign i think this movie just rocks and i can't listen to slow ride by fog hat without thinking of this movie because the ending's so good <laughs> yeah actually um i have not seen dazed and confused um oh <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm I'm going to make a oath of myself now, um, not only by saying that, but also by uh, showing my ignorance um, in regards to uh, Richard Linklater's filmography. Um, I I'm fairly certain I've seen a film of his, but like honestly, when I'm I'm scanning my memory for titles to associate with 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 the man, I'm not really finding any. Um, I'm not I'm not googling it right now I'm just using my memory um, but um, <clears throat> would you say that's like one of your favorites of his or if you were to pick a favorite or a couple of favorites what would you say they'd be I would put this one probably second I I love uh, before okay hang on before sunset yes second one yes before sunset is probably my favorite of his that's just that's an all-timer for me um, that whole trilogy is great but one that I one that I would be really shocked you haven't seen, and maybe I will be shocked here. I don't know. But uh, School of Rock, which okay, I feel I like I've seen that. Yeah, which you know when you think Richard Linklater, it's not one that jumps to the top of your mind because it is a studio film. It was you know a big commercial hit, but I think that film is a fantastic comedy. Like I he he brings some like a genuineness to the characters and just to the the writing in it. I, I, I don't think he... I actually don't think he wrote that one, but his films don't, like... 
his comedies don't feel like they're setting up jokes just for the sake of jokes. Like everything feels just very true to the characters. And when the characters are funny, the movie's funny, but it's not like going out of its way to set up gags or anything like that. It's just uh, all his films feature characters that you kind of enjoy hanging out with. Um, and School of Rock, I would say School of Rock is up there as one of my favorites of his. I think it's a it's a great film. Yeah, no, I quite enjoyed it. And uh, it I think it was a very, very important film. Uh, maybe not to me personally, but like the cultural footprint of it is something that I, I pick up on every once in a while. Like uh, I'm fairly certain it got my cousins, my, my younger cousins to pick up guitars mm-hmm. and they actually like applied themselves and actually got pretty handy with them. Nice. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of the youth um, that were exposed to that movie at, you know, pivotal moments in their life because you know, you have that, you have the infectious enthusiasm of Jack Black, and then on top of that, you have Guitar Hero and Rock Band uh, being kind of the hot games of the moment. Uh, so, yeah, important film, but also an incredibly entertaining one. Um, like you said, uh, there there is like an organic quality uh, to to the the way a lot of the, the humor and the charm comes out of it, where it doesn't feel stagey. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're you're being set up for like fat guy fall down humor <laughs> like like it's it's just kind of like these are these are people existing in the world and it just so happens that occasionally humor comes out of their interactions but i didn't even realize um, there was a poster in this thing not oh, bad very cool not bad yeah at all. yeah i dig it um if, uh, folks at home if you're not aware um over the course of doing these uh tales from the shelf uh discussions over the past couple of years um Brad has brought up the Before Trilogy um, numerous times. Um, you, you've often cited that as being like a really important series of films to you. Um, I forget. Did, am I wrong? Did did he do Boyhood? Yep. Boyhood is another one of his. Um, okay. I didn't see that, but I, I know the concept. Like I, uh, That was also... Was Ethan Hawke involved in that one too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Him and Ethan Hawke, they oh. are tight. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to look into him because his, his name carries a lot of weight. I know him by reputation, but like aside from speaking with you just now and, you know, over the course of our, you know, Tales from the Shelf episodes, I, I haven't really thought a whole lot about his filmography. So he, he's someone I should probably do some homework on. I, I owe it to myself, I guess. Yeah, he's he's underrated, I would say. He's, he's definitely... Uh... Well, might be a little slept on, to be honest. You're sleeping on this guy. <laughs> I, I think that is true because, like, pretty much any time his his name is injected into a conversation, like the people who know know, but I, there aren't that many people who know, from what I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I suppose the pick is to me, so I'm just gonna keep the the mainstream train of rolling because I do have. A shocking number of these. Apparently, 1987 was a really awesome year for movies, <laughs> um, and 93 also, as evidenced yeah. by a lot of Brad's yeah. picks here. Um, so I have here kind of an oddball uh, Blu-ray. Not not an oddball movie by any means. Like I said, very mainstream, but kind of a a strange version of it. Uh, so I have here uh, with hideous cover art, hideous. Um, a Blu-ray box set. Uh, I think it's from the UK, but it uh, it does work uh, on all regions as far as I know. 
I have watched these discs, so I can confirm they do work on Region A players. Um, Lethal Weapon, uh, the four-movie collection. Um, I fucking hope they don't make five of these. Um, I know they had that TV series not too long ago, but this series is wrapped. <laughs> Dick Donner, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Lethal Weapon's over. No more Lethal Weapons. We're done. Number four was way better than it had any business being. It didn't need to be good, but it actually kind of was. Um, yeah, uh, the first Lethal Weapon, as far as I know, is a 1987 film. Um, it's not, like, oftentimes it's thought of um, as being just just short of the, the peak of the franchise, because Lethal Weapon 2 usually gets the nod for being the superior film. Um but Lethal Weapon's fantastic. I love Lethal Weapon. I love the whole franchise. Um, I love especially when you have a, a cast of players and a director preserved for the entirety of the thing. That's not something you get all the time. And it lends a sense of narrative cohesion uh, that you don't always get in movies like this. Um, and just the the characterizations and the dialogue are, are really what these movies are. Like... It's very easy to think of them as like action movies, um, but that's never why I put them on. Like I just like hanging out with Riggs and Murtaugh, like in in all in all iterations. Like they're just a fun pair of characters, and more than that, the supporting cast also is very affable, and everybody plays off of each other exceedingly well. And then you you have the soundtrack woven through the entire franchise as well. I think it was Michael Kamen and Eric Clapton uh, providing guitar work on like his presence is very much felt uh, throughout the entire film series. And Michael Kamen is, if you ask me a little bit of a uh, underrated uh, like film composer, um, it's really amazing that they had all of those components like throughout the entire franchise. Um, but yeah, as action movies, they're, they're pretty good. Like they're not, they're not like top tier shit. If you ask me, um, there, there are more exciting, like slam bang action thrillers from, from the era, especially. Um, but just the, the charisma of all the performers and just the characterizations of, of Riggs and Murtaugh. They're just, they're just really wonderful characters to spend time with and get to know. Um, but yeah, uh, the first lethal weapon is, is, is great. Um, it, I, I wouldn't, I think, it's been a while since I've rewatched all of them, but if I had to say right now, I think I do prefer Lethal Weapon 2. If I was to rank these, I think it would go 2, 1, 4, 3 uh, for my particular ranking. Because for whatever reason, I have a little bit of a stigma against 3. Maybe because it's the one I've watched the most, but I always think of that as being like... For a series that's maybe one of the most consistent action franchises in, in like all of action franchises... Three is like the closest it gets to being like a little bit of a bump in the road, mm -hmm. but beyond that, it's like it's it's just like smooth sailing all the way through. It really is one of the most consistently entertaining series out there, um, such that I was actually kind of lobbying for this as our uh, our 2022 uh, masterclass month series. Um, but Kyle, my my uh, regular co-host, uh, he's very very busy uh, with law school right now. Um, and so uh, him not being available to talk about each and every one of these movies, I was like, nah, we, we, we can't do Lethal Weapon because like Lethal Weapon's like important. 
like to me personally, and I, I, I would want to do it justice. So we're, we're not doing that this year, but it's a, it is a someday for sure, because he and I both really love Lethal Weapon. But how, how about you, Brad? You got any feelings on Lethal Weapon? Well, I can tell you two feelings I have on Lethal Weapon. The first feeling is that I'm shocked that uh, it has not received a 4K release yet. Shocked. Well, I mean, come on. And uh, the other feeling I have is absolute um, apathy because I have not seen any of them. <laughs> um, surprisingly, <Wow. laughs> um, well, and I, you know, I said goes back to uh, I was at a birthday party when I was eight years old, and they said, "You, you want to watch Lethal Weapon? We're going to watch Lethal Weapon." And I, st- I had to, I stood up and I walked out and I said, "Not watching these movies till they get a 4K release." Sorry, so. <laughs> <laughs> I have not uh, <laughs> stuck to my guns ever since, and, uh, you know, one day, someday maybe, but today is not that day. Well, uh, hey, maybe uh, maybe we'll have to get you in on that master class whenever we do it so you, we can get an outsider's perspective, like a, a yeah. first-timer's perspective. I do really want to watch um, them, and uh, for better or worse right now, after uh, the, the HBO TV show The Rehearsal, uh, Mel Gibson is back in the spotlight because uh, one of the <laughs> one of the best jokes in that uh, whole show involved uh, Mel Gibson and uh, one of the characters saying that her favorite movie was Apocalypto. So I mean, <laughs> she must be she must be a fan of the the Joe Rogan experience then. Yeah. Say that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hi. <Hi-oh. laughs> But uh, yeah, I do, I do, I do want to watch. Um, I do want to watch those films at some point. Yeah, I would, I would strongly encourage you to check them out. Um, they, they are so much fun. Like they're, they really are just really great hangout movies. Like I said, the like the pyrotechnics and like the squib work and like the martial arts choreography, it's all going to be kind of like old hat for for like somebody that's seen it like more contemporary action films like it's not going to knock your socks off from that standpoint but just the performances um and the banter between all the characters you you just really enjoy hanging out with these guys um and also i would highly recommend you you open up your ears to the score for the film uh for the films actually um all four of them same composer i forget if eric clapton is involved in all the scores i know i know he's i fairly certain he's at least around for the first two um but four i'm not positive or three and four i'm not positive but the scores are really fantastic some of the character themes are some of the most memorable um of you know 80s action cinema just just the just the brass notes that hit whenever danny glover is pissed off or or like (laughs) like is having a bad day You'll know it when you hear it. It's like, yep, that, those are the notes that play when Danny Glover's having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I hope you get to them soon. Okay, well, that's enough about Lethal Weapon. So, uh, Brad, what is your next uh, 1993 title? Well, I got a good one to bounce off of that, and uh, it's probably one that you... I, I would be shocked, shocked if you haven't seen this. Absolutely shocked. So you might actually have more to say about it than I do, because I've only seen this once. And it was, you know, a couple of years ago, it was a first time watching. I was uh, pleasantly surprised by this film. 
I thought this was going to be a hunk of junk. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised by Demolition Man. Demolition Man <laughs> with Stallone <laughs> and Snipes. Um, I'm assuming you've seen this, correct? Yes, Brad. All I've right. seen it a few times. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I don't know when or why. I went through and maybe it was when I got the release of Cobra from Scream Factory. I went through and watched some Stallone movies I hadn't seen. There we go. Oh, he's got the Stallone collection. There we go. We got Cobra. What else is on there? Assassins, Tango and Cash, The Specialist, and Demolition Man. See, now this... I don't know if this is... uh, Actually, I don't want to say that, but in my mind, I actually remember not being a huge fan of Tango and Cash. Um, But... I uh, I don't know. I, what I liked about Demolition Man is I actually just liked the fish-out-of-water setup of it, and I thought that was fun. Like, you know, I I think this kind of came in because I, I had watched Cliffhanger, I watched Cobra, Tango and Cash, and I think just this kind of came at a point where it was a nice change of pace in Stallone's uh, non-Rambo, non-Rocky outings. There was, you know some good humor in here and you know even even though it was a little bit of a the opposite of a Richard Linklater sort of humor it was very much setting up gags gags about toilet paper and shit like that um but no I I, I don't know I I thought it was a a pretty fun little film it's it's obviously a big goof fest but I liked the uh back and forth the the rivalry between Wesley Snipes and uh, Sylvester Stallone. Um, and I, I would definitely like to pop this in again. I, I would definitely watch this again because uh, I, I remember having a good time. Don't remember too much about it except for um, the toilet paper gag and uh, the – isn't there something with Taco Bell? <laughs> yes, there is a gag about Taco Bell. Yeah, those are the two things that I uh, vividly <laughs> remember about this film. Yeah, Demolition Man is probably objectively one of Stallone's better films from the 90s. The 90s were not kind to him, um, but it is a very, very solid uh, 90s actioner. Uh, we, we were kind of inundated with like high concept action thrillers in the 90s that were mm-hmm. less focused on, you know, commando guys running around shirtless shooting people, you know, like from the Reagan days. It was more like high concept like action slash sci-fi thrillers and stuff like case in point demolition man that's mostly a sci-fi movie that occasionally has action beats um what cliffhanger that's like a mountaineering movie that again occasionally has action beats there was a lot of that kind of stuff where it's like we're gonna uh, a fucking daylight sylvester stallone versus a collapsing tunnel <laughs> it's, like, it's like we're we're doing a lot of that shit where it's like we're fi- we're finding other ways to explore the genre um but yeah demolition man's just a really fun time like it it, it knows what it is it is cheesy like it is corny but there's so much enthusiasm on the screen and so many of the performances are so very sincere. I forget the name of the actor, but he plays the uh, the warden from uh, Shawshank Redemption. Um, he plays the chief of police in it, and mm-hmm. he's just, you know, the biggest stick in the mud you could ever imagine. He just, just has a massive rod up his ass the whole movie, and it's great. And then I think that was the beginning of the 
very short-lived and potentially unfortunate Rob Schneider Sylvester Stallone connection <laughs> um, because because you'd end up being in Judge Dredd with him I think yeah. like a year or two later um Rob Schneider can't help but be a little bit obnoxious pretty much every time he's on screen but uh Brett the toilet paper gag is that a drop that you you should have on your soundboard for the Cinema Speak podcast it's true uh, that that could be a good one actually yeah I, n- I never really thought about that <laughs> I mean, the gag is that it, it, it uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, basically the, the future world where the movie takes place, anytime somebody utters a profanity, um, some mysterious master computer wired into the entire city uh, writes you a ticket, and then there's a annoying fucking, like, that plays when it spits out the ticket and tells you you've been fined X number of dollars for watch your profanity <laughs> um but yeah it, it's actually a really fantastic running gag in the film though because you you even when you don't see the prop you still hear the sound cue like mm-hmm. in way off in the background you just hear that like around the corner or something it's a nice little attention to detail i really like that. that is a good bit um, this movie rocks it is a lot of fun like demolition man's a great time and fa- like i've had a lot of trouble uh, trying to sell Stallone to the girlfriend, like like she can handle Rocky, but like anything beyond that, it's like I don't, I don't think it's happening. Uh, mm-hmm. But this one, Demolition Man, I I think I could swing that. Like I think yeah. I could get her into it because it it has a lot of cheesy wordplay humor that she'll probably like. Um, the production design's very charming. Uh, very young Sandra Bullock. I know that's a selling point for her. Yeah, um, yeah. she's a big fan of San- of Sandy Bullock. Um, Wesley Snipes also. I think her uh, her brother uh, named his cat after Wesley Snipes. <laughs> so Wesley Snipes is probably a selling point as well. Yeah, sounds like she's got to check it out then. Yeah, I should I should lobby for this. I just be like, hey, so uh, Demolition Man. <laughs> you want to get some Taco Bell? Watch some Demolition Man. <laughs> yeah, have a classy night in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, uh, fun fun trivia factoid. I think. I could be saying the name of the wrong food franchise, but I think if memory serves, um, international prints of the movie uh, utilize Pizza Hut instead of Taco Bell because Taco Bell was not available in in all international regions. Like, it wasn't as widespread as, I think, Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. on I don't, I, I'm not positive if it was Pizza Hut, but I know for a fact there was an alternative brand uh, for international cuts of the film. Nice. Just hitting all your bases right there. Delicious in both, in all languages. I mean, it's 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 very fitting that I, I just released a solo episode where I basically rambled for a half an hour about Sylvester Stallone and not the movie I was trying to review. Because, I, I don't know, I find the man very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, even when he makes crap. Especially when he makes crap. But... but demolition man is most certainly not crap um so yeah very good pick brad i'm i'm kind of jealous that that's one that if i had it available to me i yeah i would have picked demolition man (laughs) yeah yeah okay well uh pick is to me um and this one's uh continuing the mainstream trend uh just because i i guess i'm illustrating a point here that um I think 1987 was just a really cool time for movies um, because I have here 
a box set that's probably going to upset you, <laughs> um, but it, it contains a good movie, so you get a little bit of both. Um, I have here uh, the Predator triple feature, which unfortunately pictures a, uh, a Predator from Predators on the cover, and also unfortunately, and probably why Brad is upset with me, uh, contains three movies in one clamshell case. Um, hey, that's it was that's, cheap. <laughs> that's not the issue. Is it more than one disc? Uh, yes, All it right. is. It is individual discs. That's totally cool. I got no issues with that. It's more that uh, that is probably the horrible looking uh, Predator Blu-ray, which uh, is notorious for being one of the worst looking Blu-rays ever. Yeah, can can confirmed. Watched it with the girlfriend for the first time not that long ago, uh, in anticipation of Prey on Hulu. Um, I felt she should at least know what a Predator movie is before I toss her into the deep end. Um, yeah, it looked like ass, and the whole time I was like squirming in my seat, and she's like, "You've seen this movie a million times. Like, why are you like freaked out?" It's like it has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> like, it's just it's just the way it looks. Look what they did to my boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a smeary, smudgy mess, uh, just say that much. But yeah, uh, John McTiernan's Predator uh, came out in 1987 as well. So Robocop, Predator, Lethal Weapon, all in the same fucking year. Nuts. Uh, yeah, this is also probably, I don't know if I'd say top five, but definitely top ten favorite movies. Definitely one of my most watched movies in my entire lifetime. I've seen Predator a bazillion times. Predator 2, less so. Predators, way less so. Um, but the first Predator film, I think, is is fantastic. I, I Watching it today in 2022 with, with a girlfriend on the couch who'd never seen it before, it did feel a little bit slower than I remember it. Um, but I still think it works. Like I still think holding off for a whole fucking hour before we even get to the goods was a good decision um and also it's a really beautiful instance of uh necessity kind of being the the mother of invention like it's really fascinating to see how how limitations imposed on a production can sometimes yield a better result because uh, it's a somewhat troubled production like i don't think it's like an infamously troubled production but it's well known that the creature design uh, was not finalized uh, when they started filming the thing, John Claude Van Damme was wearing a fucking. He was bouncing around the jungle in a fucking lizard suit for a good chunk of time before they called back Stan Winston and you know got Kevin Peter Hall in, involved to make the you know now iconic Predator. Uh, on top of that, they weren't really certain how to do the the fucking invisibility effects, the camouflage effect. It's like, yeah, let's put him in a red suit and uh, we'll do a green screen with a red suit. Yeah, that'll work. It's like, it kind of worked. Cool. Um, but like having those limitations uh, kind of forced them to film a lot of the movie without the monster being even uh, being possible, like without even having the monster available to show. Um, and as a result, I think it, it it's a very solid, like one-two punch of f like first third traditional Arnold Schwarzenegger commando action film and then from there on out it's like okay now it's a totally different movie that still fucking works um it's it at the time it was a very novel concept 
Uh, there's a reason the franchise endures to this day, although I'll be the first to admit uh, the franchise means a whole hell of a lot to me, but um, to be 100% honest, most of the movies are just okay. Um, it's really just kind of the first one, and then the rest of them are passable to bad. <laughs> but I'll keep showing up just because of that first one, honestly. Uh, that says a whole hell of a lot about the lasting power of this thing, that exactly one movie in a decade-spanning franchise is great, and yet I keep showing the fuck up. Yeah. I mean, it's also that the uh, the creature itself is great, you know. It's not just... Yes. If, if it was just the first movie was good and the creature itself was just like, ah, well, you know, it, it is what it is, I don't think it would have... Uh, the impact and lasting power that it does. But the fact that that creature is great, I think it definitely makes it where it's like, yeah, I'll, I'm down for more of that guy, more of that thing, no matter what the movie. Oh, yeah. No, the the, the Yelp Jaw, the, the Predator, is is utterly iconic. It's kind of amazing to, to look at look back on the first film on, on Predator and just, like, think about how many seconds of screen time the thing has such that, like, literally every movement that kevin peter hall does on screen feels somehow like seared into your memory where it's just like every frame that exists of of that first representation of the characters is somehow made iconic and part of that has to do with just the scarcity of footage included in the film but also just like the incredible design and also just the performance like like i've, I've talked to kyle like numerous times over the years about how just how calculated that that hand gesture of removing the mask was like like kevin peter hall did some of that acting shit it really paid off but yeah predator's fucking awesome man i I love this movie like it really is one of the movies i have watched the most of any movie that exists yeah i I agree um not that i've seen it that many times because that that would be again that would now i would be lying i have not seen it that many times um but i do agree that it, it is a great film and uh the times that i have seen it i've absolutely loved it and uh I th- the first time i saw it i can still remember i was on vacation it was actually i was up north with skiing i was on a ski vacation and we were just hanging out at the lodge after a day of skiing. And I was, I don't know, I was 10, 12, 13. I don't know how old I was, but we're just sitting there watching television. The snow is falling outside. It's nighttime. So tired, just on the couch, day of skiing. And uh, this movie comes on, and I'd heard of Predator, of course. I knew about The Predator, but I'd never actually watched Predator start watching predator i'm like oh this is pretty damn good this is pretty great i ended up going to bed before it was over but i was like that well i (laughs) gotta finish that someday that was pretty good that was a good movie so yeah i'll always remember that's uh that's where i first saw it uh in the words of your buddy this is despicable (laughs) (laughs) exactly going to bed before predator you probably didn't even get to see the predator shit probably not i was well i was probably so young i probably my mom told me to go to bed so i might not have had a choice it was probably around the time jesse ventura's chest was being seared open that she's like okay brad it's time for bed (laughs) well it's interesting because this was uh because i'm from michigan and it was we were up north in michigan so obviously that is part of the united states 
but uh, being in <laughs> being in Michigan, we are very close to Canada, and uh, you uh-huh. know would take some occasional uh, vacations to Canada. And over there, they do have uh, different uh, broadcast standards and practices. And occasionally, yes. you'd be watching a movie, and you know, just you'd be watching it on vacation with your parents, and they'd be like, "Oh, it's television. You know, it's whatever. It'll be." edited and uh just like some graphic death or some graphic nudity will just <laughs> pop up on the screen <laughs> it's like whoa hello we're in, we're international today we're in another country <laughs> yeah it's funny you mentioned that actually like i i have spent very little time uh, across the border up north but um i do actually have a memory of encountering exactly that phenomenon um where they they obviously do have different like standards and practices when it, and regulations when it comes to censoring films uh, for violence in particular uh, because i'll never forget it was like th- it was like the most incredible block of programming i i ever could have stumbled across where i was just like in a hotel room with my mom and i just put on whatever random canadian network and it was saving private ryan blade and then, like around like midnight, Terror of Mechagodzilla, <laughs> all consecutively. And wow. I was like, "This, th- these people get me. <laughs> like, wh- whoever is working at this television station is is just like a doppelganger of me <laughs> because that's exactly what I would put on yeah. all in a row. It was amazing, and they were all pretty much uncensored, as far as I could tell. You might be an honorary Canadian. You might have to be an honorary Canadian. It's so up your alley." <sighs> I'm I'm excited to to check back. Like next time I'm up there, I'm gonna see if I can find that network and see see what else they have on that on that zany channel. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sir. Well, that's enough about Predator. Uh, you good for one more round? Yeah, I think I can go with one more, and I'll go with another another good one, another big one, another recent watch for me. So hopefully, I'll have something to say about it. It's a film that, let me think, was I on vacation when I first watched this movie? No, I don't think so. But uh, I I think I've only seen this movie twice, but I do really enjoy it. And uh, it's from a director that you and I talked about at some point on some show, on some episode. I don't remember when or what. But you and I talked about our, uh, our, our hero, Tony Scott. And uh, recently released on 4K, I have True Romance. True Romance, of course, directed by Tony Scott and uh, written by Quentin Tarantino. And uh, I I like this film a lot. Now, I can see nowadays, I, I I guess I don't know what the general vibe of this movie is. I can see, I can see a lot of people hating on it, to be fair, because it is so, like, just knowing Tarantino and where his career goes you watch this and you're just like this is the most tarantino-y tarantino script i've ever seen like it's everything is there but i i i do think the script is great and there's a lot of great memorable characters memorable moments and i think it's definitely to the film's benefit personally that tony scott directed it because i do think that kind of makes the fact that the script is so Quentin Tarantino, the fact that he didn't direct it, it makes it a little more palatable, I guess. Not saying I don't like Tarantino, 
but it's not quite as uh, overpowering. You know, it's like uh, it's like salt. Like I, I like salt, but I don't want just salt. Like, g- give me a little uh, French fries to go with the salt. You know, um, but yeah, it's it's very entertaining. Um, it's a, it's an Arrow release, the 4K. You've got the uh, we got the limited edition box set. It's got a booklet in there, and uh, yeah, I. I have a good time with this. Um, I lo- love Patricia Arquette in it. Uh, uh, Dennis Hopper is amazing. Um, I forget who plays his friend. Uh, Michael Rapaport. I love Michael Rapaport in it as well. It's just it, it's it's just it's a very entertaining, uh, very entertaining watch. And the score by Hans Zimmer is a banger. Yeah. It is a banger yeah. score by Hans. I love it. Yeah, it's 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 like a sweetly sentimental score from him at times mm-hmm. it has like a little taste of like in terms of instrumentation it's very very different but in terms of like occasional moments of warmth it kind of reminds me of uh, rain man a little bit yep um but yeah uh, i actually saw true romance for the first time uh, a couple years ago i think um because kyle uh actually wants to do an episode on it someday I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but a couple years ago he was floating that as an episode of Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, so that was the first time I ever saw it, but I, I quite enjoyed it. And I think I agree with you that uh, I think it was better uh, that someone else handled the direction of the film uh, because I could have seen it. I could see it being just like unpalatable to, to, to have that much Tarantino on display working with that many big names and that much money. It just seems like, uh, I don't know, maybe he, he needed to log a few more miles on him before before he, you know, would break out into his own, you know. Um, I don't think the movie suffers at all uh, being directed by Tony Scott. And, and in fact, like, I don't know what the fuck is in the water, but, like, lately, on Twitter especially, it seems like people are rediscovering Tony Scott or something, but there's, like, a Tony Scott love fest going on on the internet these days. Uh, with good reason it's just kind of funny like for me where where it's just like where the fuck have you guys been <laughs> like it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like like really like like when was tony scott not great like i oh, i i, I miss that part of things but no he's always been great he's given us some he'll, he gave us some fantastic movies um and yeah i was really impressed with true romance um i did not end up getting the 4k from arrow um not sure if I regret it just yet. I'm I'm probably getting there, but but for now I'm okay with it. Um, but that's a movie that I actually have been looking for an excuse to rewatch because I did enjoy it, but I did watch it very hastily because I I was thinking I was gonna have to record for it like mm. really quickly. Um, so I I kind of rushed through it and probably didn't pay it its due. But yeah, it's it's a solid one that uh that uh christopher walken and dennis hopper scene is like kind of worth the price of admission alone honestly yeah i know for a long time i think tarantino said he thought that was his best dialogue um at least his best written dialogue scene um and it's yeah it's 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 a pretty iconic scene it's uh just you know the two of them going back and forth with each other and uh it yeah it's interesting how like Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper and Gary Oldman. There's like so many great actors in here that pop up for very small roles. And then they're like, they're in and they're out. And it kind of, 
I'm sure it's just, you know, they those actors at the time, like obviously Christopher Walken was known, but like, you know, Brad Pitt was just still on the up and up. But it certainly adds a little bit to the film where it's just like there's always somebody new who you're like, oh, this is a great scene with a great actor. And, you know, it's all there's always something new to chew on in this one. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. Even. um, Oh, who? Oh, God. um, Who plays Elvis in it? Um, Oh, my gosh. Why? Why am I? Why do I want to say Ving Rhames? It's not Ving Rhames. It's um, <laughs> from Top Gun. Um, Val Kilmer? Val Kilmer. <laughs> Val Kilmer even shows up as the Elvis impersonator. I'm watching this movie, and I see, like, oh, Val Kilmer's in. Oh, yeah, he is on the cover. His name is on the cover. I just looked. I'm like, where's Val Kilmer? Where's Val Kilmer? And then I get to the end <laughs> of the movie. I'm like, oh, he was the Elvis impersonator? Uh, well, I guess not impersonator, but he was Elvis? I didn't, yeah, so classic yeah um am i wrong uh is like chris penn like the kind of the chief antagonist of the movie towards the end there the uh, he's the guy from reservoir dogs right yes uh no he he's one of the detectives who okay, okay. get thrown I, I just remember he was in there i couldn't quite remember who he was yeah even him i love him in it it's like i i was watching this i'm like oh yeah that's right i forgot he's in this um <laughs> yeah and um yeah yeah it's 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 great uh and uh, yeah i got to say if i i mean i can watch this movie now and uh say that like you know obviously if i was like quentin tarantino's age like you know like they say this this is like patricia arquette and this is like his manic pixie dream girl sort of thing yes and uh i can see that she she doesn't have much of a character but she is absolutely lovely in this film i have to say <laughs> um, so i can see yeah, why she's great. Uh, uh. i mean it's like christian slater is quentin tarantino in this film essentially no i mean case in point like maybe the only time in in american film history that the subject of Sonny Chiba film festivals has ever been explored, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially as, as a form of like romantic bonding between man and woman. <laughs> um, and, you know, comic shops as well. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is, you know, a little bit of self insert, but you know, it, especially today, I feel like it, I, I think what you had mentioned is probably true like i could see some people like rolling their eyes at this movie like contemporary audiences just because it it does feel artificial at times Mm -hmm. but i don't think that's the point like i don't don't think it's striving for realism or anything yeah like you said is a little bit of a fantasy piece and it is you know the title's apt you know it's true romance it's about boy meets girl and i mean there is there is that element of like you know they're bonding over you know the sunny chiba film festival but there is that twist of i mean not really twist but you don't know at the time that she's essentially just you know pretending to be interested initially yeah um yeah because like it's you know it's a little bit like oh yeah they meet in a movie theater yeah right like that or whatever happened get real it's like oh okay well she was paid to be there so it's like okay that you know that that's that's airtight that's airtight yeah, unfortunately, Brad doesn't have his soundboard uh, that he would normally make liberal use of uh, during any podcast recording. But hey, uh, my regular co-host Kyle, he's he's working on it. someday, 
uh, we too here at Catching Up on Cinema will have a soundboard of our own. Um, but yeah, nice pick, Brad. Like I, I forgot that that came out in '93. For some reason, I thought it was like slightly later than that. But I guess it would have to be 1993, just based on the career trajectory of Tarantino yeah. after that point. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I guess my last pick here. Um, it's not one that I'm super enthusiastic about, unlike some of the other ones. But you know, uh, at least the director will probably give Brad something to talk about. Um, so I have here, also from the year 1987, uh, a Blu-ray, a very quaint Blu-ray, of a uh, Brian De Palma, uh, The Untouchables. Mm, okay. Untouchables. Um, yeah, this is a Brian De Palma film. Uh, funny enough, Brad and I, uh, well, Brad actually had the pick. Um, Brad selected a Brian De Palma film for the two of us to review on Catching Up on Cinema uh, quite a while ago. It was a uh, Snake Eyes. Um, also a very fun movie, but I, I, you know, in some ways I I think untouchables is, you know, in terms of like production design and scale, probably, you know, grander than snake eyes, but snake eyes is a fun ass watch Mm -hmm. the, the untouchables, unfortunately, I, I think of as being a very uneven experience, uh, because it has so much going for it. It has a, a, a fantastic cast and, um, kind of a weird Oscar winning turn from Sean Connery where it felt like the James Coburn award where it's just like, you've been at it for a while, Sean, like, here's your trophy, man. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really matter what you do at this point. We're just looking for an excuse. Cause like, it's a good performance. I don't think it's, I, I don't know what the competition was in 1987, but it's, it's a little sketch to be as much as I love the man, like, like as much as Sean Connery brought joy to me, I don't know that that was an Oscar-winning turn, um, but it has an amazing cast, fantastic production design. Um, but there's just something about about the pace of it, um, and just about the way they go about things that just it, it never quite grabs you the way you want it to. I guess like it just never quite flows correctly. And I think I think my biggest issue with it is that it has like too many like weird sentimental moments involving kevin costner which may may have been the kevin costner effect on the production where it's like if you have kevin costner in the late 80s you're gonna need to have some swoon moments in there but it's like it it really bogs down the pace it really doesn't contribute much in terms of characterization just because he's so goddamn wooden (laughs) Um, and then like you're left wanting for more robert de niro as as al capone and whatnot um in terms of like action and and violence and stuff like there's some spectacle in there there's a decent rooftop chase at the very end and of course the battleship potemkin inspired staircase sequence which is you know a show-stopping sequence that is immortalized forever in film history for sure um but i don't know brad i'm rambling at this point like what do you what do you think about the untouchables I mean, I like it, um, but yeah, I, I I don't love it, and I kind of feel yeah. like because I did rewatch this not that long ago, and yeah, aside from that, you know, staircase sequence, I, I find it kind of forgettable, weirdly. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't want to say I don't want to say Brian De Palma's heart's not in it. But I do think there might be something to the fact that, you know, he does bring some stylish direction here. But I think you you look at his like filmography, and he likes making 
trashy movies. He likes making trashy yeah. movies and yeah. styling them up. <laughs> and this is kind of like, and I don't know if this was his choice or what, but it felt like this was his attempt to go for class. And yeah. I don't know if it's his heart wasn't in it, if it just the the his style just didn't work. But for some reason, even though I do think it is a good movie, it's just it. Looking at the rest of his movies, I would probably rather rewatch not an, not everything else, but most <laughs> of his other films. I would say, I would say, yeah, I'd prefer that that over the Untouchables. Even though, you know, a lot of people, a lot of dads out there, this might be their. <laughs> Their favorite film of all time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does have dad movie vibes for sure, especially when you consider the cast of the day. Um, but yeah, actually, that's a very good point, Brad. Like, like Brian De Palma is kind of a sleazy guy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he he thrives in sleaze. Like he he loves, like you said, injecting a layer of class into otherwise sleazy material. He's a fantastically talented filmmaker. I I don't know if he's still like blacklisted or whatever these days i i he i don't exactly know the specifics but i know he probably pissed off a lot of the wrong people over the years because his his career just kind of like stopped um but in his heyday holy shit he he was phenomenal um his his visual styling uh his hitchcockian tension sequences are are absolutely legendary fantastic stuff um but yeah, there's just something about the Untouchables that just never quite clicks for me. It's very, it's very irritating because there's a, it's like it's like a math problem where like like if you look at all the components involved, it's like that should, that should add up to a positive. Why why what's wrong with this equation? Why isn't it balanced? Um, but all the components are there. It just doesn't quite gel. Um, and I'm actually curious, like, I again, I'm not Googling anything. I'm, I'm not clickety-clacking on the keyboard right now. But I'm curious about the timeline because Kevin Costner, uh, he, he, he carried a shit ton of clout in Hollywood uh, at a certain point in time. And I'm curious if maybe that is part of the problem because I don't know what came first. Like, I don't know the chicken or the egg here. Like... Was Kevin Costner the golden boy of Hollywood that could do no wrong and was, you know, making the most popular, most money-making films of the day? Was he already that Kevin Costner in 1987? Uh, because if he was, I wouldn't be surprised if he did some of that Sylvester Stallone shit and kind of, like, monkeyed with the production a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because that is known to happen when you're dealing with large egos who, you know, throw their weight around on set. I don't know if Kevin Costner's that kind of person, um, but he certainly had the clout to be one if he chose to be. Um, so again, I don't know the timeline of events there, but point is untouchables is fine. It's not great. It's no, it's nobody's best work, uh, except for apparently Sean Connery's, if you ask the Academy, <laughs> um, but, um, it's watchable, but beyond that, yeah, it's, it's largely forgettable if you ask me. And Neil Morricone even like he, he's showing up. Like, his score is good, but it's not, like, going to be on any compilation discs for him, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, I just looked it up on Letterboxd. I've watched this uh, twice in the last eight years, and, uh, yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't hold much water. And I give it a good score every time. 
but I, I think we're I think we're on the same page with this one, Brad, because I, I've seen this movie a handful of times. Like there's a reason I own it. It's because it is watchable, but never gonna recommend it to anybody. <laughs> Dad movies. Looking to see if I own it. Let's see. Uh I mean I only own this uh like I said, questionable quality blu ray. It says special collector's edition, but I think all that means is it's a blu ray. I think I Although have I think I th- I think is I think this might be getting a 4K like next month oh. or something. Well, there we go. I'll have another excuse so. to watch it and forget about it. Yeah, you can watch it again and be like, "Yeah, that was exactly what I thought it was going to yep. be." <laughs> that was a McDonald's cheeseburger of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Brad. Well, um I think that's about it for our birth year bonanza. Um but um as is customary, folks at home, we will wrap up this particular episode of Tales from the Shelf uh, by doing just a, a quick speed round uh, of any uh, runner-ups that we had set aside that we didn't uh, get a chance to speak about at length. So basically, uh, Brad and I are just going to run through all of our runner-ups here. So, uh, Brad, do you need a minute to collect yourself, or um, would you like to go first? No, I can go first if you want me to. Yeah, go for it, bud. All right. Well, I've got um, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which uh, I rewatched. Um, let me make sure this is 93. thing I looked up said it was. We're going to say it is. Anyway, um, <laughs> I rewatched not that long ago. A little disappointed, I got to say. I was not as uh, head over heels of this as I remember being, and everybody else makes it out to be. Um, one that I was not disappointed by was from Agfa Scary Tales, which is a shot-on-video anthology horror film, uh, which is low-budget, trashy, trash, and it, it's a lot of fun. Um, we have another Criterion film. We have uh, Guillermo del Toro's Kronos, Kronos, which I, I would like to revisit wasn't blown away by it. I mean, I think it is his first film or second film. No, it's his debut. So it's a little, it's a little rough. Um, but I, I would like to check it out again. Um, another criterion menace to society, uh, bought it cause it was uh, one of the early criterion four K's watched it. It's a very effective, uh, drama about, you know, life in the inner city. Uh, didn't blow me away, but you know, it is, uh, very uh very real feels very raw uh we got a movie that don't really know why i bought it but i did i have hocus pocus um i love halloween this film my a lot of people my age love it and i i can't say i necessarily do but uh it's fun i guess um we got the 4k of groundhog day Ground, yes, Groundhog, not Groundhogs, um, which is a you know awesome uh, Bill Murray comedy, and then uh, we got uh, movie uh, Shortcuts on Criterion, uh, directed by Robert Altman, which I've never seen. Oh. We've got Carlito's Way, directed by Brian De Palma, which I've never seen, and we have Return oh, really? of the Living Dead, directed by. Brian Usna, which I've never seen. There you go. Bring it all back to the Usinator. Boom. Wow. Nice, nice stack, Brad. I, I think this might mark uh, perhaps the 
the first occasion in the long history of Tales from the Shelf uh, that you had more uh, titles pulled out than I did. I think it might be. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, normally I, I stink up the place by just like rattling off title after title during the supposed uh, <laughs> like quick rack up, uh, wrap up selection. Um, but yeah, nice, nice titles there. Uh, I don't know what it is about Hocus Pocus. Maybe it's because of, you know, I'm a, I was six and I'm a hetero dude, but uh, Hocus Pocus is like a really, really, really big deal to a lot of our contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Um, such that, you know, I think they're currently, or did they already make the sequel to it? Uh, it comes out this Halloween. Oh, shit. Yeah. You're going to have to watch that, Brad. Oh, I will be. <laughs> I will be. I might rewatch the first well, one. I, it's I been should, a while. I, I shouldn't talk. I'm probably going to have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Um, it's not The first one's not bad or anything. It's just, you know, I was like six when it came out, and I was just like, you know, I, I'm, you know this is fine. I, I, can I watch Transformers, please? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. like, or, or The Secret of Nim or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, well, I will rush through my titles here. I only have four, uh, so this is going to wow. be quick, whether I want it to be or not. Uh, so I have here uh, Bubblegum Crisis, uh, which is a uh, OVA series, uh, which is anime. Um, I don't actually know if every episode of this initial series came out in the year 1987, but I know they initially were released in 87, uh, so I'll, I'm allowing that. Um, not a series that's particularly important to me at all, um, but it is a fun little um, like action sci-fi series that is just like chock full of uh, at the time contemporary sci-fi references. There's just like innumerable references to like Alien and Blade Runner, um, and all all things 80s sci-fi are are just all over Bubblegum Crisis. Um, like I said, not not a series that's particularly important to me, but one that I have on the shelf just kind of cuz um I have here uh John Woo's A Better Tomorrow 2 uh this is a Hong Kong Blu-ray but it is region A um this movie uh is like immeasurably influential um in international but also like largely Asian cinema from the day um I think uh I mean you may notice the the attire of all the gentlemen co- like pictured on the cover i believe tarantino drew inspiration from from this movie like precisely for uh, reservoir dogs mm-hmm. i can um, see that but but just the entire filmography of john woo is something that tarantino has quite a lot of appreciation for so that's not a dig on the man at all it's just like pointing out that yeah this is where it came from i think uh this one's a lot of fun all the a better tomorrow movies are a lot of fun uh, this actually, you know, since it came out in 87, this predates The Killer and uh, Hard Boiled, which I prefer when it comes to, you know, the John Woo Guns Akimbo Hong Kong action. Um, but A Better Tomorrow and A Better Tomorrow 2 were kind of like where it all began. Um, and they've gone on to influence so much of, of Asian cinema and like Japan, Korea, China, like everybody was all about A Better Tomorrow. In particular, I think the second one, actually. Um, I have here uh, G.I. Joe the movie, uh, which I find an excuse to talk about seemingly every couple months. <laughs> um, this is, of course, based on the uh, the animated series from the 80s. Um, I'll, I'll say it again. I say it every time I, I hold up this particular Shout Factory disc. Um, 
the first five minutes of this movie are basically the best thing ever committed to film after that you can shut it off and walk away there's just nothing else there um but the first five minutes uh, brad did i did i i know i sent it to you but did you ever watch it i can't i i can't remember i don't think i did (laughs) well you have homework sir you have homework now yeah because it's five minutes and is most certainly worth your time basically cobra uh decides to attack the statue of liberty because that's that's a a point of valuable strategic importance you see (laughs) so gi joe has to fight off cobra and you have dueling theme songs the best animation in the movie they dumped all of their animation budget into the first five minutes of the movie and then after that like i said there's no reason to continue watching um and the last title i have here is a robot carnival uh which i believe this is from discotech uh media uh the disc is that is i believe uh this did go on to get a 4k disc i'm not going to be upgrading it anytime soon but this is a uh anime anthology series so this is a collection of short films from many different um highly talented directors um and all of them have massively distinct art styles and character designs and whatnot um but just as exhibitions of creativity and and design work in animation uh, these are fantastic uh, these are a lot of fun. This um, that uh, was it. Love and robots, uh, or is it death and Ro- love and robots? Love, uh, death series? and robots. Love, death and robots. Thank you. I haven't actually watched it, but from what I understand, the concept of that series is basically what this is. Um, Robot Carnival is wonderful, uh, and not every one of the the shorts is a is a winner, um, but the ones that are are truly remarkable. Uh, really, really cool stuff if you're into, you know, hand-drawn, hand-painted animation. Uh, I am. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, so that concludes uh, the uh, birth year bonanza uh, edition of Tales from the Shelf. Uh, but before we go, uh, thank you, Brad, uh, for joining me. I really appreciate your help out on this one. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah, so um, folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, Brad has a podcast of his own. It's called the Cinema Speak Podcast. Um but uh, Brad, would you care to let the folks at home know uh, where the podcast is and how they can find you and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, you can also find us on social media. We are at the cin- wait, hang on, at the Cinema Speak on Twitter, at Cinema Speak Podcast on Instagram and cinema speak on youtube i'm a little rusty today um and we're on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com very nice and uh also folks at home uh, brad also has a youtube channel um that uh, he very recently posted uh his uh, vinegar syndrome unboxing uh video his latest um i always look forward to new releases there and and great job brad that was a really fantastic video oh thank you i'm gonna hopefully pump them out a little more than once every five months but uh we'll we'll see what happens (laughs) well you're a busy guy um yeah folks again if you're not aware um cinema speak is actually celebrating its 300th episode um this week i believe as of as of posting this Mm -hmm. um care care to share any details on that one or you gonna keep it secret until the release uh well i'll say we reviewed crimes of the future the uh, Cronenberg movie, the new Cronenberg movie, 
and uh, played a bunch of games, answered some questions, and it's uh, it's a long episode, so it's a, it's a fun one. It's a good one. Very nice. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. And in fact, um, my most recent tri- uh, trip to uh, Owls on the Ave, uh, my uh, secondhand uh, media store that I frequent, um, I sold some books there as well as a couple of uh, discs that I really wasn't ever going to touch again. Uh, Megalobox, uh, which is a sci-fi boxing series uh it's an anime series i had like a super duper special edition box uh, that i i bought it on a whim because i'm a sucker for boxing that's that show sucks like, <laughs> like the animation the animation budget was was a nickel or yeah. something because it it is not good so i i dumped that shit and also i dumped a dad movie um the killer elite uh, late era Sam Peckinpah film that I've I've ranted about a couple of times I think on the air at this point. Uh, I did watch it. It was my only uh, Scorpion releasing title I think, and I'm not sure if I'm gonna buy from them again <laughs> because that movie. Uh, I I really do like Sam Peckinpah, James Caan, uh, rest his soul. Uh, I like him as well, um, but man, that movie was just not very good. So I dumped all that crap. Um, and in exchange, I got Jurassic World Dominion uh, for $17 on 4K. Yeah, which not I, bad. Which I think is a, like for a, a brand new release, that's what, I'm, that's what I would like to pay for Pretty a not good. very good movie. Yeah. Already have already watched it. It's not very good. Um, but I also got uh, Crimes of the Future. Uh, I have yet to watch it, but... Um, I may have to see if I can watch that before you post your uh, 300th episode now that I know that's what you're covering. Yeah, well, we're very uh, very divided on it, I guess. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I would not be surprised. I'm actually going into it virtually blind. Um, I, I didn't need any information about it. I was just like, yeah, shut up and take my money. It, mm-hmm. It's Cronenberg. It might be his last at-bat from what he's saying. I don't. I don't need any more than that, man. Like, like that says a lot to the reputation of the director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, again, thank you for joining me today, Brad. It was a lot of fun. Um, but folks at home, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our catching up on cinema content, uh, you can do so by navigating to our website, our uh, seldom updated website of uh, catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on uh, the social media in the form of the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.